Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. We are in John 1. We're starting in verse 19. This is John's testimony, or at least part of it. This is kind of where you see John the Baptist start to phase out. Uh, He'll pop up again, but you start to see him phase out, and Jesus start to take center stage. And so John chapter 1, verse 19 through 28. Here we go. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we are expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. So we see these, these Jewish people. It's like, all right, he's baptizing people. What's the big deal? Like, why are they making a stink? Why are they going and interrogating him, like sending, asking these questions? And so last week we had mentioned that the, the time the Old Testament ends in Malachi— to where the New Testament begins, there is 400 years of silence. So you've got generation after generation after generation of people dying, not hearing a word from God. And then you've got this guy dressed in, in camel's hair, eating a paleo diet of, of honey and locusts. He's coming out of the desert, which was traditionally a place where God met his, with his prophets. And he's telling people to repent and he's baptizing them. And so these Jewish leaders start to get really excited and they're like, they're trying to just be very professional. And so they ask him a few questions. Who had, Ginger, you had Malachi? All right. If you would, Dennis has got the microphone. Read Malachi chapter four, verses five and six. These are the last two verses of the Old Testament. Ginger, go ahead and read those verses. So we've got the verse on the screen. So they have been waiting for Elijah. The last thing they heard God tell them was, I am going to send you Elijah before the day of the Lord returns. And so they are approaching this guy and they ask him about five questions. Uh, If you still have John one up, uh, shout out. What's, What's the first question they ask him? Who are you? Yeah. Who are you? Joel. If I didn't know you, and I say, who are you? What, what is your response? Joel. Joel, right? That is a normal answer. Only a psycho would answer in a negative. Who are you? Well, I'm not Brad Pitt. Okay, thank you very much. Who are you? I'm not the president of the United States. Okay, good. That narrows it down. But for whatever reason, John, and we'll get to the reason here in a second, John doesn't say I'm John the Baptist. He doesn't say I'm a prophet. He doesn't say I'm this he comes out right out and says, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. What's the next question they ask him? 
Are you Elijah? Exactly. And, and so this question isn't really surprising, right? We just read Malachi. Is there, are you the guy? Are you the guy we're waiting for? Are you Elijah? And he's kind of dressed like Elijah. He's acting like Elijah. They didn't have cameras or DNA kits. And so they're like, maybe he is. I don't know what he looks like. Maybe he's Elijah's great, 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 great grandson. I don't know who he is. And what does John the Baptist say? No, no, wait, but I thought Elijah was supposed to be here. I thought we were supposed to be Elijah. If he's not Elijah, then what's the point of this book, right? If, wait, Elijah is supposed to precede the savior, but John, so no, that's all wrong. You had Luke, right? Uh, read Luke 1, 17. Okay, Luke 1, okay. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Yeah. So if you guys have have paid any attention to any movie releases, you know that movies have gotten really bland, and they just remake a lot of stuff, right? It's like they remade Ghostbusters. They remade Beauty and the Beast. They're doing Little Mermaid. It's like they're just remaking stuff now, right? This verse, if you pay attention to it, is almost a remake of what Malachi 4 Five, the verse that said this, right? This, this verse is an angel speaking to Zechariah, who is John the Baptist's father. And, and Zechariah and um, Elizabeth were kind of like an Abraham and Sarah, like they were older. She didn't think she'd ever have kids. And an angel tells Zechariah, says, you're going to have a son. And so this verse is the angel telling Zechariah about his son. This verse, if you compare it to Malachi, is almost word for word. He says he is going to be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. What does Malachi say? Before the day of the Lord returns, Elijah will show up. He will turn the hearts of the fathers toward the children and the hearts of the children towards the father, right? And this goes on to say that he will prepare for the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the father to the children and will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly, the angel is telling Zechariah that John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that prophecy about the day of the Lord. And so while John the Baptist doesn't lie, he, he's not Elijah, he's like Elijah. He's got the spirit and the power of Elijah. He's doing the things that Elijah did. And so, no, he didn't lie, but here, and, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but these other two, here is the point. He is not putting any attention and focus on himself. He's not. It would, have easy, it would have been easy for him to say, um, I am, I'm like Elijah, right? Or, or yes, I am the one that the prophet spoke about. I am the one that's, like, he could have done that. But John, remember John the Baptist, we read last week, his goal is to be a witness to the light, right? He is pointing people to the light. And so any attention that may be coming his way, he is deflecting it. And we'll get there in just a couple questions. So they say, who are you? I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah? No. What's the next question they ask him? Are you the prophet we are expecting? Who had Deuteronomy 15? Andrew, you had it? Go to, run that microphone back there to her um, so we can hear it. Hey, Fish, if you can turn up number eight a little bit. I just kind of guessed on it. Okay, whatever. That's fine. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses is speaking, and he's saying, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me. Like who? Like Moses. From among your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And so the, the, the teachers of the law, 
they're expecting Elijah and they're expecting someone like Moses. Now, if you look through the New Testament, right, you, you, you look at the Old Testament, Moses, the law came to Moses. Well, Moses was the mediator between God and the Israelites. God got mad. Moses was like, please just give him another chance, right? Moses wrote the law. And so Moses, if you look at giants of the New Testament, Moses is up there on Mount Rushmore. And you look at the New Testament, so many times the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. And they say, Moses said, but what do you say? And then even Jesus would, would kind of throw it back at him. And he would say, well, Moses says this. And so he's not negating who Moses is. And so they are waiting for this Moses-like person to come back. And so they ask him, are you the prophet we're expecting? Again, what does John the Baptist say? No. Who is that prophet they are expecting? It's Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. When we look at the Old Testament, and I absolutely love the Old Testament. I go back to Sunday school where we had the felt boards and you had the little Jesus and you'd move and you'd walk them on the water, right? And you'd, you'd see all these things. I love the stories of the Old Testament. Maybe I'm a bit narcissistic, but whenever I read a book that has an awesome protagonist in it, I picture myself as that protagonist, maybe with a little bit more hair and like a six pack. I put myself in the hero role. And a lot of times whenever we read the Old Testament, we put ourselves in those heroes role, right? I'm going to remain faithful, even if it means being thrown in the lion's den and God's going to shut the mouths of the lion. I am going to be faithful. I'm going to be thrown in the fire and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do. And, and, and I'm going to be, I'm going to fight off my giants. What's the giant you need to face? What's the giant you need to strike down? Here's what we have to understand about the Old Testament. Each and every one of those heroes are what we call, uh, they, they're, 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 symbols of Christ. They, are, they are, are, are pictures of Christ. And so we've got to be very careful about putting ourselves in the hero role in the Old Testament. Because if you think of it in the story of David and Goliath, right? If you read Hebrews 3, let me, let me, you read Hebrews 3, the whole point of Hebrews chapter 3 is that Jesus is the greater Moses, that Jesus is the greater Abraham, that Jesus is the greater, right? So you see these, these shadows of Christ in the Old Testament, but he is the fulfillment. He is the greater, right? He is the second Adam. The first Adam couldn't cut it. He's the second Adam that came to do what the first one couldn't do. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see these people, and it's not us at the center. It's Jesus. And so we are not David, Jesus is the one that is fighting our enemies. So, so it's not, oh, I'm going to take on my enemy, right? I'm David. I'm going to go fight my Goliath. No, it's God fighting the battle, right? Because it was the spirit of God in David, not the spirit of Michael, not the spirit uh, 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 of Dennis, not the spirit of any of us. It's the spirit of God working through David. And so if, if, if Jesus is David and your enemies are Goliath, you know what that makes us? makes us the Israelites cowering in the background. That's who we are in the story, right? And so in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're the ones that are bowing down, right? We're the ones, we're the ones that are giving in because it's not us. And so, so John is, is saying, hey, no, I am not Moses. Like, I am not the one that you are waiting for. Again, pointing all attention back to Christ. That is what he is called to do, that he is a witness to the light, so they say, are, who are you? I'm not the Messiah. Who are you? Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. And they say, we need an answer. Who are you? They haven't got an answer that works for them. They have, they, we need something to go back and tell the people that sent us. 
And so he quotes out of Isaiah 40, where he says this. And this I'm going to read out of Isaiah 40. John quotes just, or John the Baptist says just a, a couple of verses of this. Isaiah 40, verse 3, says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make straight a highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill the valleys, level the mountain and the hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all the people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. John the Baptist, if you want an actual quote, he says, I am a voice in the wilderness. Uh, Clear the way for the Lord's coming. He is referring to Isaiah 43. What he is saying is that you plow the trees, you fill the potholes, you tunnel through the mountainsides, that you make the road ready because the, the Savior, the Messiah, isn't coming. He's not hundreds of years. He's here. He is hot on my heels. We would go to Disney and they do the parade through the town. You've got the, the workers that go and clear the roads. I, don't, I could care less about the workers. What do I want to see? I want to see the parade. And John's like, I'm just a voice. Again, who are you? I'm nobody but a voice. Why? Because I have nothing to give. I'm simply clearing the way for what's coming behind me. I am the forerunner for Jesus. Um, and so, so they, they say, all right, well, you're not a prophet. You're not Elijah. You're not the Messiah. You're not a priest. What gives you the right to baptize people? What, what are you doing? And this baptism that John was doing is not the baptism that we do today, right? It was more of a ceremonial thing. Traditionally, it was used for Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, that they were purified, that they were ceremonial, ceremonial, whatever, you know what I mean? They were clean, right? You're like, you're, we're together. Um, but he was baptizing everyone. He wasn't just baptizing Gentiles. He was baptizing Jews and Gentiles. And what he was saying is that you need to get ceremonial clean. Ceremonial, I'm going to stop using that word. You need to purify yourselves because the king is coming. You need to repent of your sins and purify yourselves. Like our, our baptism is not that. Our baptism is us dying with Christ, coming up a new creation, different baptisms. And I'm going to read. So, so he says, you're worried about me baptizing with water, but there's a guy coming after me whose ministry is greater than mine. And in Mark chapter three, we're going to read um, what he says, or sorry, Matthew chapter three. We're going to read, kind of expound upon what John the Baptist says when he, re- when he answers those questions. So uh, Matthew chapter three, verse 11, John the Baptist. So I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater than I'm not even worthy to even be a slave and carry his sandals. Up to this point, pretty similar to what we read in, in John 1, right? That's pretty, pretty much word for word. It goes on, this is why I'm reading out of Matthew, because it goes on to, to kind of fill in some, some holes in this, in this uh, exchange. He says, He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with the winnowing fork. He will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John's saying, you are worried about me. I'm just baptizing with water. You need to concern yourself with what's coming after me, of of who's coming after me. Stop stop giving me attention because the guy that's coming after me, in, in in the Jewish law, a slave was required to untie and carry the shoes of their master. John's saying, I am not even worthy to be his slave. Like, don't stop looking at me there is someone coming and I'm baptizing with water. He's baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I don't know why it is. We get a lot of phone calls 
people asking what our view is when it comes to speaking in tongues. Like, what do you think of the gift of tongues? I'm like, why don't you ask about the gifts of help, right? I don't know why. What about the gift of administration? What about, you know, it's like they, they, so many of our phone calls, like, I don't know if it's because we're a new church here. And so we, we talk to him. It's a, it's a gift that Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a gift uh, of several that are laid out for the benefit of the body of believers. Um, the, the church that I grew up in, you could be saved. Yes, I am a Christian, born again, absolutely redeemed, going to heaven. But you didn't have the Holy Spirit until you were baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And, and it, it was, it was, it was uh, majoring on this thing. But if you look at the New Testament, majority of the time people are speaking in tongues, they're speaking in other languages that people understand. Why? So that God can be glorified. If you look at the day of Pentecost, they weren't just speaking like before I say gibberish, the angel, the language of angels, right? They weren't speaking in an unknown tongue. They were, they were people from all around celebrating um, Pentecost, celebrating like the, 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 the celebration after Passover. And so then you have all these people from around speaking different languages and the Holy Spirit comes, they start speaking in other tongues. And what do the people hear? They hear the gospel preached in a language they understand. Right? And, and so throughout the New Testament, that's kind of the pattern that we see is that when people speak in tongues, it's for God's glory, not for attention to be put on us. And, and, and Peter comes out and they're like, they're drunk. And I'm like, that would be an incredible drunk power to be able to speak in a different language. Right? Peter goes, that's not what's happening. Peter explains what's going on. 3,000 people are added to the Lord that day because of what God did. And so we, we see that in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no one can profess faith in Christ unless they have the Spirit working through them. It's not a separate event. So it's Jesus baptizing you into his family, right? That you are now adopted into his family. At Romans 8, 9, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And so we cannot make a profession of faith without first the Holy Spirit working inside of us. And so he's saying, he's baptizing you. John 14, 6, Jesus says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and remind you of everything that I have, right? The Holy Spirit is Christ's Spirit working in us, giving us boldness and courage and strength to live out the mission that God has called us to live. You look at Galatians 5, right? There is a sinful nature and there's the fruit of the spirits, right? The working of the Holy Spirit in your life. And so, he says, you're ba- he's baptizing with the Holy Spirit, but then he says fire. That he's giving his spirit, that he's baptizing you that way, but there's also this judgment that's coming. You see Matthew seven nineteen. every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the what? Fire. Luke 3, 9, uh, even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. First Peter 1, 7 references that fire is purifying and strengthening our faith, right? And so, so Jesus' baptism is much more significant than what John's doing. John's saying, get ready for what he's bringing, right? Cleanse yourself because what he is bringing is way more powerful than what I have to offer. So, so that's the thing. That, every one of John's answers deflect glory off of him and point people to Christ, every one of his answers. And finally, he's like, you guys are not getting it. You guys aren't getting it. Stop concerning with what I'm doing. Focus on what's coming after me. So then we get to John 29, or one, chapter 1, uh, verse 29 through 34. 
and I took out my bookmark. Rookie move. Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven, resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one whom I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. John uses the phrase, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of of the world. When he talks about the Lamb of God, there are some, uh, some historical, there's some historical significance to that, right? He specifically used the word Lamb of God. When was, what weekend Jewish holiday was, was Christ crucified on? Anyone know? Passover. You guys remember what the Passover was? It's where the, the, the Hebrews, the Israelite people were in bondage. This was God's final judgment on the Egyptians. And what happens in Hebrew or in uh, Hebrews in Exodus chapter 12, verse five, this is God's instructions to the people. What do you do to get ready? He said, you take uh, the animal you must select must be a one year old male, either a sheep or a goat with no defects. What do they do? They sacrifice it in a very specific way. They spread the blood on the doorpost. And whoever has the blood on the doorpost is saved. Whoever's not is judged, right? And so you've got the Israelites doing this, their families are passed over. And then you've got the Egyptians who laughed at them, made fun of them, and then their firstborn was killed. And you're like, that's really aggressive. It was God showing his sovereignty in that situation. God showing his authority, right? That letting people know who I am. And so John says, behold the Lamb of God. You look at Exodus 29, 29, 38. These are the sacrifices you were to offer regularly on the altar each day. Offer two lambs that are a year old. Go to Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was saying, history passed. All of us had to offer a lamb. All of us, whether it was Passover, whether it was daily, whatever it was, that all of us had to offer a lamb. But this one is different. This isn't Steve's lamb, which is a super Jewish name, right? This isn't Steve's lamb over there. This is the lamb of God. This is, this is God closing the chapter of the Old Testament, that this lamb is the once and for all sacrifice that is going to make people right with God. This is the Lamb of God. So they weren't like, why didn't you choose a hawk? Why didn't you choose an eagle? Why didn't you choose a panther? Something really cool. Because the Lamb signified what was the sacrifice that was needed to atone for their sins for a limited time. But they had to keep making those sacrifices. This Lamb is different. He goes on to say, uh, the, lamb, uh, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. We'll, we're just going to touch on this really short. Last week, we talked about it when we said that Jesus gives light to everyone, right? He gives a measure of light, of light to everyone. 
We read this, he takes away the sins of the world. And what we mean, we got to be careful because we don't want to walk down this universalism path that everyone is eventually saved at some point or another. Um, it's not talking about this universal salvation. What it's talking about is God's elect people, God's chosen people. Um, John had referenced the Passover two words before. Who got saved in the Passover? The Israelites, God's chosen people. And what's John saying here? That in this instance, that the blood covers those who, what is John's big theme in his book? Believe. That's who the blood covers. Mark 14, 24, Jesus is talking. He said, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and who? His people. It's poured out as a sacrifice for many. And so, so it's, it's not a universalism. It's God's chosen people. Just need to clear that up. The Bible goes on to talk about how John recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Did you know that John the Baptist and Jesus were related? You guys know that? Yeah. So you, when, when the angel comes and talks to Mary, he says, your relative Elizabeth is pregnant. And so cousins, second cousins, twice removed, I don't know, but they probably, they were, it would make sense them being similar age. They probably hung out. So I'm not going to make some huge sermon about how Jesus and John were best friends when they were kids. It's not in the Bible. It would make sense that they ran into each other at a family reunion. John knew who Jesus was. He saw him in a crowd. High five. All right, cool, right? But John didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. He said, God had told me to baptize so the Messiah might be revealed. And, and as you're looking at the baptism of Jesus in, in Luke 3 and, and Mark 1, what happens when Jesus gets baptized? Just say it out loud. Spirit descends in the form of a dove on Jesus. Voice from heaven says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. It's not recorded in John. It's recorded in Luke and Mark. John references it, right? He, he, says, he says, yeah, that's how I knew. So, so John knew Jesus. He didn't know he was the Messiah until he was baptized. And so John has been saying, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way. Oh, snap, that's him. He didn't know who he was talking about until that's the case. And then we get into John chapter 1, uh, verse 35 through 51, and we're wrapping up with this. Did I take my bookmark out again? I did. Rookie, what am I doing with my life? So the last part of this chapter is really cool. So it says this. It says, the following day, John was standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John said, look at him and declared, there is the Lamb of God. He'd, say, he'd been saying, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. There he is. That's him right there. Being able to single him out. Not a general, just get ready, baptize, repent because he's coming. That's who he is. Uh, where was that? When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and said, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus looking intently at Simon. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come and follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him we had found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. 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 
exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. As they approached Jesus, Jesus said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me, Nathanael said. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth. You all will see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man. That term is one of Jesus's uh, most used terms for himself. We'll get back to that. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time right there. We'll get back to that though uh, down the road. The one who is the stairway between heaven and earth, right? The ending of this book is full of what discipleship looks like. You see John the Baptist sees Jesus walk by. Verse 37 or verse 36, he says, behold, the Lamb of God, there he is. 37, it says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. What did they do? They heard and they followed. They heard and they followed. They went and spent time with Jesus, getting to know him. And we, if we are going to be disciples, we have to know Jesus. I love this quote by Vody Bauckham. He says, the modern church is producing passionate people filled with empty heads who love the Jesus they don't know very well. That's not a disciple. A disciple is a student. That's what it means. It means a learner, a pupil. And, and as we follow Jesus, our mentality should be that of Paul's in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Come with me, follow me. Uh, um, Andrew and this other disciple, which is really interesting. So in the last 16 verses, you've got five guys. You've got Andrew, you've got Peter, you've got Philip, You've got Nathaniel, and you've got this one mystery guy hanging out. Some of the scholars that I was reading, some of the theologians that I'm reading, have a, have a, a fairly not crazy consensus of who this guy is. Some of the evidence is that the, the time is so specific of when this person met Jesus. It was four o'clock. That was the moment my life was changed. That was the moment. Other thing that's really interesting is that in the book of John, the author never mentions his own name. He mentions himself four times. Anyone know how he mentions himself? Calls, or refers to himself as? The disciple Christ loved. The disciple Jesus loved. In this moment, you see five people, four of them have names. It's, it's thought to believe that this fifth guy was John. That he was the one, because he's not using his name. At this point, he just met Jesus. So he's like, there's five of us. Maybe he loves me. Maybe, I don't know. We'll find out, right? So at this point, it'd be kind of weird for him to, to identify himself as the disciple Jesus loved. It's not weird for him to leave his name out, though. And what blows me away is that as we're looking at this first chapter, and you see how, how the author describes Jesus in the first five verses, it's incredible. Some of the most powerful description of Jesus that you'll ever read. And then the way that he describes John, not in a negative way, but in a way that's just, he, this is who he was. He was a man. He was a witness to the light. God sent him, which is crazy to me. If it was John and John the Baptist was his rabbi, was his teacher, was the guy that he was following, it shows you the importance and the life change that happens when John meets Jesus, everything else kind of fades away and one thing remains. Yeah, John. Oh yeah, John. Yeah, he was a great guy. He's awesome. He was important, very important. He's not the guy though. Yeah, I followed him, but when I found out who I was supposed to be following, then I went and followed the right guy. And so 
it, it's pretty insane to me and blows me away to see that in a different perspective where you're like, oh, so that, that was probably John. The author of this book was one of John the Baptist's disciples. And John the Baptist didn't hold on to his disciples, did he? He said, no, 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 there he is. Why, why are you standing here? That's the guy that I've been talking about. That's the guy you need to be following. Go, go follow him. And this is a look at discipleship, right? That as we follow Christ, as we grow and grow and grow in Christ, we don't hoard it and keep it to ourselves. But we give it away. And we pour it out. Man, a few years ago, I had this weird bald tattooed guy. I don't know. Come up to me and corner me in the church lobby, which was really difficult because it's a round lobby, but he somehow cornered me and asked me to go to dinner with him. And I avoided him for a long time. I made up excuses. I lied and I eventually got tired of lying. And so I was like, sure, we'll go to dinner. And he's just talking, talking about Jesus, quoting scripture. He doesn't have a Bible, doesn't have his phone open, just quoting scripture, talking like quoting these, these like old pastors, A.W. Tozer, Charles Spurgeon, right? Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, just quoting these different guys, just, just rattle them off. And he starts asking me questions. Now, me, I was a professional Christian. I'd been working at a church for a long time. I graduated Bible college. And he's asking me questions that shouldn't have been a problem for me to answer. And I'm giving these generic responses that most people, most polite people, we just kind of smile and nod and be like, okay, cool. And he's like, well, what about in the Bible where it says this? Not in an arrogant way. What about where it says this? And I didn't like that. I was like, hmm, check. I got to get back to my wife, right? I'm like, I got to go. And I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like that. Wasn't a fan of it. The problem was he had a couple kids in the youth ministry and we had a party at our house and he had my phone number and then he dropped his kids off at my house. And so now I knew where he lived. Like there was no escaping him. I couldn't get away from him. And so after a while I go back and I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll go to dinner. Maybe a little bit more like defensive. And so he says, Hey, he says, I'll tell you what, how about you just read the Bible? And I'm thinking, bro, like you work in an electrical supply company. Don't tell me to read my Bible. But he goes, He's like, read the Bible. If what I'm saying doesn't jive, doesn't work, poke holes in what I'm saying, and we're cool. And so I'm like, bet, let's go. Like, I'm like about to wreck this guy. Let's go. Central Bible College degree. Let me dust it off. <sighs> let's go, right? <laughs> and so I start reading the Bible. And these thoughts, these beliefs that I had had as a kid that I had a lot of people that were passionate followers of Jesus but had some empty heads. And they had great intentions but they didn't know the Jesus they were following. And so I go back and I'm like, all right, bro, fine. Like, and so he goes, tell you what, how about you just read a couple of guys? Just look into a couple of guys, a um, couple of pastors, a couple of theologians that are, that are pretty easy to read. Just read them, tell them what you think. And so over the, over the course of the the next two, three, four years, um, I start to learn more and more about Jesus than I ever did in college. Don't tell my parents that. They pay for that good degree, and they're probably not going to be happy that I learned uh, from, a, from a guy in a Buffalo Wild Wings instead of all those professors in Springfield, Missouri. Um, but I learned more and more about Jesus, and, and um, if you would have asked me three years ago to lead this study, no way. That's not going to happen. Like, mm -mm. nope. Like, I'll, I'll do, like, a sermon series over, like, Instagram trends because TikTok wasn't a deal there. Right? Yeah, we can do that. But, like, break down the Bible? Mm -mm. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. 
But here's the deal. Like as you continue to grow and as you continue to devote yourself to the word, not checking it off the box, but devoting yourself to the word, right? Not reading what I want to read, but reading what God has written and spoken. You start to unravel and start to figure out more and more about Jesus. And we'll never be able to understand all the depths and the riches of who Christ is. But if we devote ourselves to the word and to studying and being a disciple, we'll learn more about him. And then what are we called to do? Go and what? Make disciples. Teaching them everything I've taught you. We can't teach what we don't know. We can't. It's impossible. Right? We, can report, we can repeat talking points. We do it all the time. Oh, well, Tucker Carlson said this, and then you have no, like, and someone's like, well, Rachel Maddow said this, right? We repeat these talking points all the time and just what other people say, but when it comes to actually knowing what the Word of God says and what it means in the big picture of things, it, it gives a new depth and a new significance that that's where the life change happens. And you see that play out in the last half of that first chapter of John. Where people, where John's saying, hey, the guy that I was talking about, that's him. Go follow him. They go spend time with Jesus. What is their first thing? They get up and, and Andrew goes, hey, hey, Peter, Simon, let's go. We found the Messiah. And he just found some guy that was fun. We found the Messiah. They didn't even know he turned water into wine at that point. So I mean, like, what's the perk, right? They're just like, we found the Messiah. Then Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, right? And you see that happen in the New Testament. When people have an encounter, they spread it. And that's what we're called to do. Not be passionate people filled with empty heads, but disciples who follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, we come before you tonight. God, and thank you for your word. God, thank you, God, for, that you have spoken to us. God, that you have revealed truths to us. And I pray that we would understand more and more about you. God, that we would grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.